Sean is a fresh of breath there. He just loved chain restaurants. Matter of fact, he ate at Applebee's 12 times during the bye week. I love eating it. Most of you guys. That really is still swollen, isn't it? It, it, it kind of looks like a football, actually. It, thank you for that. Stitching, you that, got it. Thank you. Hey, D, I like donuts, baby. Let's go. Uh, stay focused. Um, work hard in school. You might not like school, but make sure you're working hard at school. It builds a bomb. It builds a bomb. It's your boy DM3, and you're listening to the Witty Not Funny Sports Podcast on the Built in Buffalo Podcast Network. Witty Nation, welcome everyone to episode 106 of the Witty Not Funny Sports Podcast, the number one self-rated podcast about sports, entertainment, and everything in between. And as always, part of the Built in Buffalo Podcast Network. Go follow us at Witty Sports 716 on Twitter and Instagram, and follow everything Built in Buffalo is giving you. Every single day, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, it's a takeover. The Built in Buffalo website just reached over 100,000 viewers, clicks or whatever. So thank you everyone for the support of Built in Buffalo at Built in Buffalo underscore. We're your host. I am Matt. He is Tony. Tony, welcome back. What is going on? We are witty. Open up the pod. It's not funny. Buffalo is tearing it up. So get us to the buy and off the song. It's the end of the song. What's up, Matt? Great to be here. Great to hear your voice. Is that a little, uh, I saw the sign? Oh, I'm glad you recognized it. I, I dropped it and it out like of my that. usual tenor. <laughs> I saw the sign and it opened up my eyes. Of course. Who sings We that? are witty. Open up the pot. It's not funny. Ace of Base. Oh, Ace of Base. That's right. How can I forget a great group like Ace of Base? Come on. Come on. Jeez. That's my fault. That is my fault, listeners. Or you look like a real <laughs> dum-dum. I look like a real doo-doo brain right now. A little bit of a hiccup last week. Our new secretary here at Witty headquarters got our schedule mm-hmm. a little mixed up. Our, but just our like new we slash old high... secretary. Yeah. So if you see a LinkedIn post, maybe an Indeed post about a job opening here at Witty headquarters, please apply. We don't pay. There's no benefits. But you get to talk and to two cool guys like us. That's true. And workers' rights... You can forget about that. Worse than Amazon. No, worse than so, Amazon. You can listeners. If you, listeners know you have beef with Amazon, Tony. <laughs> well, they treat their workers a lot better than this position is going to get treated. <laughs> That's right. Deal with that, everyone. But again, it's not a bad gig. Good work-life balance, if I do say so. Yes. Until the technology comes through that we can actually sever you, and then we own your ass. And we own it. That's in the. The, the bonus <laughs> sign. Tony, just I mean, like it's... we were in a high school musical, the boys are back. And we have a packed show for you this week, listeners. Not only do we have Bill's talk to get into, big win on Sunday, but Buffalo's other sports team is starting up this week, the Buffalo Blizzard. Oh, I wish. That would be amazing. No, the Buffalo Sabres season gets underway. And to talk some puck, we welcome Brendan from the Straight Up Sabres podcast onto the show in a little bit. But Tony... We got a new segment to introduce, just like we have all season long. New segment alert. Tony, new segment straight from one of our favorite shows growing up, Saved by the Bell. It's called Time Out. There you are, Zach. I've been looking all over for you. You Time out. Just like Zach Morris, if if he gets in a little precarious position, just call a timeout. Everything pauses. Timeout. 
this is for this is for who or what in sports just needs to take a little little time out. Think about what they're doing, what's going on. Who needs to take a timeout? Tony, start us off. Who needs to take a timeout in the world of sports these days? You know who needs to take a timeout? And this is basically in the world of sports. Dwayne The Rock Johnson needs to take a timeout. <laughs> I like it. It's a heavy timeout on Dwayne The Rock Johnson, or The Rock, as he's known in colloquial circles. Everywhere. So I don't know if you saw on that, but recently he was in the press junket. He was talking to a friend of the pod. Kevin Peloey, and Kevin was giving him uh, a little gentle jabbing on the Bills beating the Rams and giving him <laughs> the opportunity to sort of make amends to Bills Mafia in The Rock, a.k.a. Dwayne Johnson, a.k.a. potentially the next president of the United States, was right. saying, was saying he's pseudo in Bills Mafia or at least Bills Mafia adjacent because... The Rock is involved with the XFL, and he said that, and former president of the Bills, current president of the XFL, Russ Brandon, has, has him connected to Bills Mafia. To which I say, timeout. What the time fuck out. are you talking about? <laughs> That's a big timeout. Russ Brandon is not the guy you want to <laughs> hit your wagon to here. That Dwayne. is what I'm saying. Like, what a sad state of desperation to try and connect with this man, to try and say, well, I pay Russ Brandon now in 2022. What are you talking about? And then later on in the week, he produced a video that said that he might run for president. So what? it's too much. Time, time out. It's too just much. needs to hit a timeout. Does Dwayne Johnson come off as like a guy who, kind of like a yes man, but kind of a guy who just wants to make everyone happy? And that that's not a bad thing. I'm just saying... Almost like a fake hat. You know, like the rapper Drake, he's from Toronto. He roots for the Raptors, but he's also a fan of every other team in sports. Yes. Like he'll sit courts. Like that seems like the rock. There's nothing real. There's nothing. There's real. nothing. He just, he just like, everyone's his friend. He wants to be friendly with everyone. He doesn't want to ruffle any feathers. Yeah. I support the Rams and I hype them up, but I'm also Bill's mafia this way. So don't hate me. Anyone get real Dwayne Johnson for a second. Take a timeout. Take a long timeout. Take a, t- take a timeout. <laughs> that's a good that's a good way to kick off the segment, Tony. My first timeout. I'm going with Troy Aikman. Troy Aikman okay, needs take to take a there. timeout. This past week, Monday Night Football, we have another controversial roughing the quarterback penalty to which Troy Aikman says, and I quote, my hope is the competition committee looks at this in the next set of meetings and you know, we take the dresses off. Troy Aikman, time, time out. out. That's not cool. Not cool. Not cool. <laughs> we can criticize NFL competition and committee, NFL referees, whatever, without being completely misogynistic about it, Troy Aikman. I mean, gross. This is this is a guy who, when he announces, I don't know if it's on purpose or unintentional, but always seems like he's making like some pseudo sexual reference. In his play calling, like a lot of penetration talk. So for this to come out of Troy Aikman's mouth about taking off the dresses, not surprising, not surprising the least. But you think Joe Buck would just be like, hey, Troy, take a time out on this this potty mouth talk. I'm out. This is what I submit to you about the Troy Aikman thing. The only difference between Troy Aikman and Joe Namath is the cocaine. 
<laughs> is that anything? I think it's uh, real. I think, I it's think a that's a real. I think that's a factual statement. Yeah. The only difference between Troy Aikman and Brett Favre together, is $5 but he's million really dollars a of problem. money. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Another great comparison. So, Troy Aikman, you get my first uh, time out. Tony, what's your wow. uh, second one? We'll, we'll just do two each for this opening segment. What's your okay, second well, and final one? My second time out is actually wild because as of the, this very moment of this record, it is happening in front of me in the form of an actual timeout. And I am wow. referencing the Commanders Chicago Bears game, which was at that point in a timeout. <clears throat> but what I am referencing specifically about this game is every apparel choice that I see, every article of clothing that I see on this game needs a timeout. The obvious, the, wor- the low-hanging fruit of these orange helmets on the Bears. Yes which is, I think, an egregious choice. To me, like, no NFL team should be allowed to have orange helmets unless they're the Browns, because that is right. what the Browns are, visually. That is their symbol. They have no other symbol. Well, I mean, except for that, whatever it is. JoJo the leprechaun or something. And then even to go for the Bears below the neck to these orange jerseys, the Bears have right. some of the best jerseys in sports. And to play with it this much is a fool's errand to have these orange jerseys. You're not the Such a classic clean look. Why, yeah. why, why ruin it? Exactly. And I remember there was some objective ranking that some organization did maybe like USA today or something. It feels like the USA today thing of power ranking, like all sports jerseys and the Browns won. And I wanted the bills to win, but the Browns ended up getting the number one sports jersey in all of sports. And I was like, all right, I see where they're coming from. And now to see this now, let me climb the tree a little bit on the commander's jerseys. So please note, as you have seen in the commander's jerseys, in their accents, like in their numbers, there's mm-hmm. like this speckled dot fade in, fade out thing going. Do you know, right. know to what I am referencing? Yes. I, it's I too see snaky. That. It's too snaky. It's, I feel like it's meant to look like snakeskin, but commanders have nothing to do with snakes. I, it should happen like in the Southwest and a Southwestern Jersey and on like the shoulder pads or like, you know, shoulder sleeves, I should say. They also have this. It looks like snakeskin. It looks like they're trying to do snakeskin. It makes no sense. You're the Washington commanders. It's nonsense. Tony, there's, a, time there's a huge snake epidemic in Washington, D.C. right now. <laughs> there certainly is. In the and government. that's our political oh! pun of the day, folks. <laughs> there it is. Nailed it. We just get one an episode. Nailed it. You know, um, yes, going uh, egregious jerseys. <laughs> I feel like NFL teams are trying to bring back the color rush without really like marketing it as color rush. So it just looks like uh, weird. Yeah, They're just trying like that. weird combinations. They just think like it's cool. Yeah, they just think it's cool, but they just put together weird combinations. So mm. if you are thinking out there nfl teams or any sports teams are doing weird uniform combinations just just take a time out that's what we say speaking of that i'm just going to piggyback off of it because hockey season has started this week the los angeles kings had like metallic helmets on and it blew my mind mm. like literally metallic like it wasn't white like it was like yeah it was silver but it was like glossy so it was like there was right. a there's a distinct glare and shine off of them they were just yes. Weird. The epitome of Chrome Dome. My second and final <laughs> timeout. Oh, this is going to be a tough one. I'm going to have to go with Field Invaders. Oh, good wily, one. Those wily youths out there 
who want to jump the barrier, as we saw last week with the Rams game, Bobby Wagner taking out Rams linebacker, Bobby Wagner taking out the field invader, which I'm okay with. He pressed charges against Bobby Wagner because he suffered injuries. And what if you step on that football field, it's fair game. Anyone can take you out. That's my whole mentality. You're, you're being an idiot. These are the consequences. If you get hurt, if you pop a shoulder because a 250-pound professional football player with pads on just truck sticks you over, that's the consequence. So sorry, not sorry to the field invader. And then in the MLB playoffs, we had the ultimate field invader, a goose at the LA Dodgers game, an actual goose. I think it's the first time I ever saw a goose. I didn't even know they were real until what? I saw this goose invading the what? field at the LA Dodgers playoff game. Yeah. Do you? I saw it. What? I never saw a goose. No. Like a like this thing looked like a goose out of a out of a mother goose book. Like it was a pristine looking goose. I've seen like weird park geese here in Buffalo, but they don't seem like like an actual goose. This thing looks legit. It blew my mind. It was like right out of the pages of a child's storybook. So mm. that gets my second time out. Field invaders. How do you feel about that Bobby Wagner situation taking out the guy running on the field? You okay with it? Uh, I actually have a counter argument to yours. And it's who's, that I feel counter? I feel the players should leave them alone. And we've seen Steph Diggs do this too, take down field invaders. I think it incentivizes running onto the field towards the players. I think that, you know, word gets out that, oh, I could get tackled by the Bobby Wagner. Well, that might get a certain kind of person interested in going for it and becoming a legend in their own mind. So I think they should be left alone. <laughs> and only in their own mind. <laughs> security. Yeah, exactly. And only in their own mind. But I mean, I think that we've all seen or met situations or been in situations where like Rob Ray was around. And what does everyone right. want to do? Everyone wants to do get like a picture of Rob Ray pretending to punch them or really trying to get Rob Ray to punch them. I think it's uh, I think it's kind of adjacent to that. Yeah, I would get tackled feel... by Tremaine Edmonds if I had the opportunity. You you would? Uh, yeah. Let's see what it's all about. See what all the hubbub's about. I would not. I, I don't think it is worth it for the 15 seconds of fame you you might get in your inner circle with your idiot friends. I just don't think I could do it. I don't think so. It, it's not worth it to me. Tony, you know who else needs to take a timeout? Anyone playing the Buffalo Bills these days. Because they are a juggernaut. You ready to talk some bills? I am if Marv is ready. Marv is always ready. You know that, Tony. 98 He's always years ready. old. 98 still joining our podcast old, every week. Spry like he's 96. <laughs> Let's throw it to Marv. All right, Marv, it up. Take it away. We'll be back after the break. And we are back. Tony, the Sabres won. 1-0. Oh, baby. 82-0 <laughs> on our way. 82-0. Here we come. Tony, but we got some bills to talk about before we get into our Sabres talk a little later on here. And of course, listeners, as you know, we always start our bills talk with the same so bad it's good game review. Tony, are you ready? <laughs> I have my yellow legal pad. Guys, y'all legal pad ready to take notes? Here we go. Cue the music. 
one, two, three, four, week five. Party at the Ralph because we got our franchise guy. Josh Allen throws deep because short passes are cheap and he likes Steph, Gabe, Dawson, Isaiah. And as I continue, you know they're getting he wolfier. That didn't really make sense, but I had to add E-Wolf in there somehow. It wasn't 98 degrees out, but a 98-yard pass on the opening drive had Bills Mafia singing, I do cherish you to number 17. And I got a hankering for some double mint gum as Davis and Diggs both were doubling the freshness, doubling the fun, as they both go for over 100 yards receiving on the day. Damar Hamilton and the Bills defense were not throwing away their shot as Kenny Wilson Pickett's was out there trying to hold on for one more day. And Jalen Elizabeth Warren was no native to the end zone as the Steelers were playing Heinz catch-up all day Sunday. Josh Allen has one for the history books. Bills 38, Steelers 3. Tony, that's the game review. Didn't flow as Matt, good this week. Matt, I didn't understand several references in there. <laughs> we, we took a week off, Tony, last week. I have week. a lot of questions. I'm a, I'm a little rusty. Maybe that's the song you should have gone with. Push by Matchbox 20. Oh, I'm a little bit rusty. Maybe, but I did appreciate the Lou Bega work. I you always got to throw Lou in. If we can keep the Lou Bega train rolling for as long as possible, that is our civic duty to do that. Man, I would agree with that. We're just biding our time. We're just biding our time until Mambo number six. Not if, but when. Will we get the next Game of Thrones book before we get Mambo number six? What will come first? That's a great Vegas bet. Yeah, I was just going to say, that is a great Vegas bet. I'm ready to open up DraftKings. Vegas, you can have that one for free. Mambo number six or next Game of Thrones book, which will come yeah, first. Which is first. Are you surprised there was not a Mambo number six? In- incredibly. I'm not surprised that like it didn't happen after Mambo number five was a hit. I'm surprised it hasn't happened in this era of rehashing things for entertainment and nostalgia. Right. Like, I'm surprised that there wasn't a 2018 Mambo number six. Yes, right. You think if, like, Rick Astley could make a comeback and his songs still hold to this day, you think Mambo number five or Mambo number six in this case could have the same effect? I think what I'm really surprised about is that uh, Jimmy Fallon hasn't tried to do it. Yeah, He was very Fallon to me. Very Fallon-esque. And it goes from there into something real. Right. Very real. Tony, you know who's on Lou Bega's level? That's Josh Allen. And we have to start off with the franchise, the chosen one, the prince who was promised, the franchise himself, JA-17. One for the history books, Tony. 98-yard pass. You know who the last 98-yard pass from a Bills quarterback to a receiver was? A little trivia mm, for you. Was quick. it Fitz? It was Fitz. And who was the receiver? T.O. T.O. against the Jaguars. That's right. You That's can't touch weird. me tonight. It was like one of the only T.O. moments for me that really like stick. Yeah. <laughs> it was like that and that in reality show and never giving back the key to the city. That's right. But Josh just goes reality off. show was good. The T.O. show. T.O. show was good. Did you really? T.O. show had its moments. Like, I like the Buffalo parts of the T.O. show. You yeah, know what reality show I... is back, Matt? What? They made a season of the mole. Really? I loved the mole. It's on Netflix. Really? That I love the mole. Reality show I feel like happening. did not need to come back. Well, you say that, and then you watch the first episode, and you continue to say that. Because the first episode is exactly like the old mole was. 
they really have recaptured the spirit of a 2002 reality show. <laughs> yeah. Wow. It's on Netflix? I might have to check that out. Now you got me on a tangent. Speaking of shows that I was wondering, like, was there any reason for this to come back? Way too many commercials for the reboot of Quantum Leap. Like, did anyone ask oh, for that show yeah. to be rebooted? No. 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 Quantum like, Leap why? Have... My, I have a conspiracy theory about this why show. Why is that? I don't think anybody watched it when it was originally on. No, my sister it, watched it, just... it. That's about it. That's about it, is right. What's yeah, your theory yeah. about quantum? I weight? have a uh, that its production is in fact deflection from actual quantum leap. Oh wow! Like oh, they'll never figure out that we're quantum leaping if we make a show that's exactly about our quantum leaping. It's a maneuver often used in deception, and we're seeing it here. Deception via and Scott inception. Bacula. Yeah, right. I just in, I don't get like, I see... deflection. I see a million commercials for it. And I'm like, did anyone ask for this? And the answer is definitely yeah, no. Was a, was a weird one to make. I agree. <laughs> right. It was weird to make the first one. Yeah, right. But I mean, it was it was nichey, right? It's niche mm. audience, I guess. Nichey. Yeah. Is it nichey or niche? Anyway, we digress. There's a philosopher. Let's talk about. Is there a writer named Nichey? Yes. All right. Is. Let's talk about the bills. Right. Bills. Let's talk about the bills. We're talking about. We the just bills. get off on a tangent. We got the no bills. More point. No more quantum leap. Josh now, Allen Matt, goes who's for. Who's your favorite 18th century Russian philosopher? Oh, great. I'm glad you asked, Tony. No. Why is uh, it Peter Kaperka? Sp- <laughs> what is the answer? Not Peter Kaperka. <laughs> Tell me about it. Tell Bills. me about it. Um, What's up? All right. Let's stop talking about philosophers. Let's talk about the Bills. Josh Allen, a day for the history books 424 yards, four touchdowns, one reception, 42 yards rushing. And he didn't play the fourth quarter. Tony, he could have went for probably, what, 600 yards this game if uh, they didn't well, stop him. Why stop there? The game, by the way, did you go to the game? I did go to the game. How How was watching one for the history books here with Josh Allen live? What was the, what was the vibes in the stadium? Uh, the vibes in the stadium were generally positive. My favorite part about the Surprise. vibes in relation to the game was that the success in really the defining play of the game happened so early and then Pittsburgh never really found that much success after that. So it really shut up all the Pittsburgh fans and made it very conducive for everyone who's trying to hang out and have a good time. And so it was generally positive atmosphere in the stands and very exciting, but also a little Mm -hmm. frustrating because our offense wasn't on it. It just nailed a lot of big plays, but there were a lot of like failed plays too. So it was, it was a weird uh, game. I don't know. It was pretty good. Pretty wild. There's not a lot weird. of sustained drives. It seemed like either big play or really nothing for a little, at least the first half there for a while. Um, yes. So kind, yeah. of, kind of a weird game. But is this the best version of Josh Allen we've seen in a Bills uniform? I don't think so. No. Um, really? I think that the latter part of last season slash playoffs was a better version of Josh Allen. We are not methodically marching down a field on the shoulder and motion of Josh Allen. Josh is off in a lot of these throws, but then just it doesn't matter because then he'll just throw it for 40 yards and like that'll be complete. So nothing will matter anymore. But there, there are a lot of drops happening. There are a lot of batted balls happening. And can say that drops are on the receiver, but they're not entirely on the receiver in my view. No, I mean, this offense is rusty, but they get it done. 
It's like the other that, side that is of a time. that is a bold take for how much they're scoring and <laughs> how good they yeah, look. Yeah, it's the I number mean, one offense in the league. Everyone yeah. by far to say they're rusty. The is... They scored. They scored a ton more points than everybody. Maybe rusty is the wrong word, but there's a lot of things to clean up. And I think a lot of that comes with the inconsistency that's been happening because of the injuries. Right. That makes total sense. And I talked last week about this next man up mentality. And I think it applied to the defense last week against the Ravens and it applied to the offense this week against the Steelers. But I just feel like this offense hasn't, for as much as they score, for as good as they look at many, many points of the season, this young season so far, it feels like the consistency is not there. I go back two games to the Miami game, and some of those drives were incredible. You had drives of 14 plays, 20 plays, 17 plays, but then you had drives of three plays, drives of eight plays. Like, it just seems mm-hmm. like it's either it's either really consistent in terms of sustaining drives or it's just big play or boom or bust, I guess is the best way to put it. But there's one thing for certain that Josh Allen seems to have total command of this offense sometimes i feel like he and maybe this is just a big picture observation because i think the team does this as well but sometimes i feel like he makes the game harder than it needs to be he's so athletic so talented so good at improvisation out on the field great awareness in terms of evading tackles and sacks and sometimes acting like he did in the ravens game to get a roughing the passer penalty but sometimes to me it's just like in this game, especially too, it's like he had all day. But when he doesn't have all day, and the offensive line is maybe a little shaky, which it has been, this was the best game they put together this past game out of the five they've played so far this year. But they've been shaky throughout the season. Sometimes I'm just like Josh, just two reads and then go. If your first two reads aren't there, take off, and you're gonna guarantee yourself six, seven, eight yards. That that's my only observation. Sometimes they make the game harder than it needs to be on defense this week. Kyrie Elam, I thought, got picked on for the first time in his in his young career here. And he's been very good. Last week, I think 44 snaps, zero passes towards him. Like, he was shut down last week against the Ravens. <laughs> this week, George Pickens picked on him a little. And I think now that's a blueprint for teams to expose the young cornerback a little. So we'll see how he adjusts going forward. But again, just it feels like he was making the game a little harder than it needed to be. Sometimes it's just like, just do what you do, Bills. Like, just do what you do well and stop making yeah. it so hard. But Josh Allen, I agree that uh, last season was the end of last season. He was just in a stupid mental state where he seemed unstoppable and seemed completely comfortable with everything and every throw. And this year he feels a little jittery, but I think that makes it more impressive what he's doing because the offensive line hasn't been good. Advanced analytics will tell you it hasn't been good. But Josh Allen putting up these numbers, and he hasn't played two quarters of the season. <laughs> he sat against the Titans, and he sat against the Steelers this past week. And he's still just putting up ridiculous numbers on pace for over 5,000 yards, 40 touchdowns, whatever rushing, <laughs> you know, 500 yards rushing with however many touchdowns he's projected for there. He's a, he's a specimen. He's a creature, as Von Miller put it. So I think we're just witnessing something great. And when the offense finally clicks on all cylinders, it, it's going to be scary because they're scary now. And it feels like they just haven't put it together yet. Mm-hmm. With more consistency, with more time, like it's going to happen that way. And that's when it's going to be insane. It, it's going to be unstoppable. And they feel unstoppable now. They're putting up 
ridiculous amount of points, ridiculous amount of yards every game. It's just going to be something crazy when it clicks. Big reason for the success this past week were what I like to deem the new kids on the block who were taking it step by step and hanging tough. Nice. Of course, right? That includes James Cook scoring his first touchdown. Something, Tony, you have been waiting to see all year. I know. It was a really and, exciting, it was a really exciting moment. I will say that for me. Being there, Cook, that touchdown, James Cook reaching his off, destination. It was, yes, it was, it was a really good time. James Cook has not looked great. Many say he's disappointing. I'm probably in that bucket as well. But you look at that touchdown run. That is the the speed he hits the hole with, the breakaway speed. That is something that no other running back on the roster offered or has the ability to do. I agree. That would not have been a touchdown with anybody else on the roster. That was a flash of what I'm hoping we will soon start to see a lot more often. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, afterwards, James Cook was super pumped based on his Instagram posts uh, (laughs) promoting, I don't know, Beard Bomb or something. He's stoic as always. James Cook. After getting his first touchdown, you thought you think the guy would be pumped? Yeah, he's he's business as usual. No, he was. Uh, the, he was, <laughs> that was. That was his. That was his pump face. Um, yes, you know, I did you know appreciate the, everyone's response. Uh, did you feel like the Bills media team has not taken advantage of James Cook's demeanor? Don't you feel like um, they should do like a video segment of make James Cook laugh or try to break James Cook, like Josh Allen doing bad dad jokes? I feel like that's gold, Jerry, gold. Like, that's money in the bank right there. Um, I'm going to say I can understand what you're saying, and I can understand where they're coming from, in that James Cook is not a star, and I don't think James Cook is getting a lot of clicks in general, whereas some of the Your other stars to make him a star. <laughs> so, all that, okay, well, that's a very good point as well. Hmm. All right. You've, all you've, right. Sw- you've swung me the other way. I swung you. <laughs> we got we to gotta get the show made. Yes, I, I feel like this is a great opportunity, a star in the making, if you will. James Cook is comedy gold. But the worst part of the James Cook run, and even though there was not really any bad parts, I don't know if you noticed this, Tony, Bobby Hart kind of had a good block on that James Cook run. Don't I was tell like, me yeah, that. I'm surprised you didn't notice. Like That's literally the first thing I noticed. Bobby Hart clearing the lane out. Hate to see it. That's the only bad part. We mentioned some of the other new guys. I thought Isaiah Hodgins showed well in his first game as a guy who can come in and be a backup outside receiver for Gabe Davis and Stefan Diggs if they ever succumb to injuries or anything like that. I was really impressed, even though he only had, I think, two catches on the day and one resulted in a fumble in the end. I was really impressed with Quentin Morris. Mm-hmm. I thought his route, okay. his route running ability is second to none in the tight end room. And not that we have a lot of tight ends on the roster because we don't, but I was very impressed that he had one, I think about 15, 16, 17, 18 yard catch on the sideline from Allen kind of sat in the zone. Allen floated it over the cornerback sitting on the, on the screen or or in in the short area there. But Quinn Morris ran like a silly good route, like a, like a Stefan Diggs esque route. And I was, I was pretty impressed with that. So I'm pretty impressed with Quinn Morris. And of course, Tony, the moment we've been waiting for yes. for months, for months, the He Wolf breakout game. Tony, take me through just where you were when Khalil Shakir 
just where you were mentally when Khalil Shakir scored his first touchdown, when he caught that catch and triple coverage in the seam. I'm sitting at home. I was I was numb. I was numb with joy. I was numb with excitement. I was numb to the fact that I feel like our baby boy has grown up and we're seeing him off to college. Just like a proud papa. Tony, what, what was your state of mind with the uh, the He-Wolf breakout game here? I appreciate what you said about feeling that kinship, about feeling like a proud father. In some ways, I would say I kind of felt that. More excited person to person, I think. I mean, I'm there already standing in Section 312, and I'm already reeling from the success he's already have had in the game. He's made a few nice catches. He's made one really, really nice catch uh, in traffic. And then when he crosses that goal line, when I realized it's number 10, I, I think I just shouted he will, but like in a way that was like, I did too. Ah, he like I, like I just shouted he will. Like, hey, yes. Like this touchdown means, means more than points on the board. I guess it is pride. Like there's, there's a certain amount of pride to this that we're saying, I'm proud of this kid for getting it done in that way. And the last time, I think the last time I shouted a name like that was when Logan Thomas scored his first touchdown. I think that I was <laughs> right. in there for, or maybe like drew a touchdown or something. I remember, I remember shouting Logan amongst my neighbors in the, in the section. And I did the same listeners, thing for he and everyone was probably listeners. Confused. Tony is the number one Logan Thomas fan in case you didn't know, but no, uh, yes, I do love Logan Thomas. Uh-huh. But yes, uh, Khalil Shakir had a fantastic game. Ended up with three catches, 75 yards, and a touchdown. And the cherry on top, that opening drive. Taiwan Jones back there on the opening kick. Tony, you know, listeners know, I'm no fan of Taiwan Jones. I don't mm-hmm. know why he's on the team. I don't know what he does well. And this game was the perfect example or the justification I needed. For some reason, McDermott puts him on kick return when he has a he-wolf just waiting in his cave, ready to pounce. And of course, Kulish Shakir gets in later and actually has good kickoff returns. But Talon Jones in there to start, bobbles the opening kickoff. Plus on coverage, I don't think he did a good job down in the ball within the five, in the five, 10 yard line. Like he was down there. Wow. Don't make a play. I, I just, I don't see the positive here for him, but the focus here is on he-wolf. Tony was there. He wolf chance started after Khalil scored his first touchdown. Please tell me. Uh, I mean, started is one thing. Successfully taking on a time. Well, that's another thing. I mean, I think that I would say I started he wolf or chanting he wolf at some point, but I it did not. It didn't. It didn't take. Per You're se. saying we got some work to do. We got some work to do. I'm saying we got a little bit of work to do. That's what I'm saying. Listeners, Woody Nation. Built in Buffalo listeners, the He-Wolf name, it's a movement. It's just getting started. Get on the train now. Get on the He-Wolf train now because this train's not stopping. Even if there's an apocalypse, we're having a snow piercer situation. The He-Wolf train is not stopping. Trust me. So get the chance started because you feel like this is like the start of something bigger, right? Yes, McKenzie was out. Yes, Crowder is out. Crowder's going to be out for a little bit. But even when Crowder mm-hmm. comes back, I don't think this is replacing McKenzie. I think McKenzie has a skill set that is different from anyone else on the team. That gadget guy, that quick twitch guy seems to make positive plays whenever he touches the ball. But I think this is a legit Crowder replacement, the He-Wolf is. So this is just the start of something special in my eyes, Tony. I would agree with you. I, I, hope, the, I hope that success in these opportunities facilitates more opportunities because... I would like to see our offense get a little bit more 
sharing the wealth, a little bit more spread out. Or maybe not spread out is the right term. I mean, it can be spread out, but I mean, a little bit more diversified in terms of who's getting the ball. Right. I think, I think we'll see that. Especially with we'll these injuries. Yeah. It's just, again, next man up mentality. These guys step in, step up, perform. And probably that's due to their quarterback being a very, very good player. One of the best in the league and just makes everyone better as Tony has referenced many times. And I agree with, but uh, I think Shakir for a fifth round pick was quite a steal. And I think we're going to see him blossom into a, a really good weapon for Josh Allen moving along in the season here. Tony, moving on to the defense. I only have one question for you, and this is the only thing we'll talk about because, yes, the defense is very good again. Three points given up, uh, made a rookie look like a rookie. I only have one question for you, and it's a question that is on the same level of what's the meaning of life? But the question is, can the Bills move on from Tremaine Edmonds? Terrell Dodson, very good. I know it was not a great Steelers team they were playing against, but Terrell Dodson did lead the team in tackles. Did not look out of place, made plays. Is this kind of the visual representation of now we can say, yeah, it's okay to move on from Edmonds because I think Dodson is good. Maybe he's not starting level good, but to me, there's someone out there in the college ranks who can come in and and do what Edmonds does. So what are your thoughts? Can we move on from Tremaine Edmonds? Not this season. Obviously, we're not going to bench him or anything, but. Do, do performances like this from backups give you any solace in saying we don't need to give Tremaine a second contract? No, it hadn't even crossed my mind. Okay, we have good depth at this position, so that's one less thing I have to strongly worry about. Am I ready okay. to say we can move on from Maine? I am not ready to say that. You're am I ready savage. to commit? Yeah, am I ready to commit hard to Tremaine Edmonds and defend him with my life? I'm also not ready to say that. <laughs> you are playing it straight down the middle. That's right. Not taking sides. So what? Tony, any other thoughts about this game? There's not much to talk about. Bills are really good. Offense was efficient. Defense showed up. Any observations that you made about this game that you'd like to discuss? Uh, I would just like to say, maybe not meriting a discussion, that I think, and I think Sean McDermott kind of alluded to it, that uh, I like a game early in the season that challenges us with weather. And that kind of might give us an opportunity to learn from a lot of things about weather in there. You know, we saw a lot of blunders happen in the first half as well, seemingly because of weather related phenomena. So right. I'm happy. Very windy. I, you know, I think it's helpful. I think it's going to be helpful. Yeah, I think it's going to be helpful in the long run for us yeah, to be. Now they've experienced these conditions. extreme heat in Miami. Rain in right. Baltimore and very windy conditions this past week in Buffalo against the Steelers. So it's not yeah. all the paradise of the backfields at St. John Fisher, you know. <laughs> but moving on, Tony, big game this week. Kansas City Chiefs, Bills travel to KC. Once again, I feel like we always play Kansas City away <laughs> or during this Allen era, at least. What are your thoughts here? Are you nervous? And even though it's early in the season, a lot of people saying, this could be the game that determines the number one seed in the AFC. I'm not quite there yet because it's game six. I think there's a lot that could happen between now and then. But I do think it's a big game. I think it's a big game to kind of get a monkey off our back of are the Chiefs the boogeyman? Are they the new Patriots? Are they the team that the Bills just can't 
get over the hump on, can't beat. Something happens, some fluky thing happens, some mental mishap happens that only happens during the Chiefs. It seemed that way throughout the drought era against the Patriots. And yes, the Patriots fielded much better talents every time they played during the drought era against the Bills. But it just seemed like the Bills <clears throat> would never get over the hump against the Patriots and Tom Brady. Kind of getting those same vibes. And I said it last year, I'll say it again this year, getting those same vibes with the Chiefs. What are your thoughts about this game going into it? Are you confident? Are you worried? Where you, where's your mind at? Well, to what you said about the hype that this could be for first, it could be. What's the likelihood it's going to shake out like that? Pretty slim. Right. I mean, we won this game last year, and we did not take the first seed. So, I mean, the Chiefs, yeah. you know, a lot of things can happen. Which So that is really a, to me, supporting evidence of what you're saying, of that, like, it's week six, let's pump the brakes. Uh, but it could shake out to be very important. I mean, I think every game is important. And the way it has shaken out in a conference like the AFC this year, where there's few elite teams, and the strength of the AFC West plays a factor in this as well. Right. I think that it could end up being important. I think it is important. Where my mind's at is I just want us to go into the bye strong, go into the bye mm-hmm. happy, meaning with a win. And when I say strong, I mean you know, not relying on the buy to just get us magically healthy. You know, it helps to keep us healthy, but it's off. Right. So then you can only have minor injuries. And I hope we do. You don't want that sour no taste injuries. to linger over two weeks if we lose. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Right. But what I, what I kind of worry about is I feel like we always play the Chiefs emotionally. And we are yeah, that's a good very much, we are very much putting on the heat whenever we play the Chiefs, whether it's regular season or postseason and i don't want that to translate into making either mental mistakes and or unsafe decisions and that's what i kind of mean when i say like let's not get over reliant on the fact that the buy is after this i feel like every time we play the chiefs it's partially a war of attrition at least on our side because we play so emotionally we're so invested we someone overdoes it someone gets injured then another person gets injured. I don't want to see any of that. I'm just looking for a nice, clean, simple game that happens to be a win where we don't have to worry about very much. I'm basically looking for it to be like the Rams game, but right. it's not going to be. Uh, and that's okay. I, I like that. I like the emotional factor you mentioned. I think that's a huge uh-huh. aspect because every time the Bills have played the Chiefs, it feels like just not only the stakes ramped up beyond belief, but it seems like the emotion is worn very much on the sleeves of the Bills players. Mm -hmm. I I go back to last year, Josh Allen in his incredible game, pumping up the bench after the go-ahead touchdown. And then, of course, we know the 13 seconds happens, and Josh Allen never touches the ball after that go-ahead touchdown. And just that shot of him on the bench, just frozen, just emotionally, physically spent. And I know the stakes are higher. It's a playoff game, but it seems like, especially with Josh, you see the emotion, just you feel it through the TV screen. You see it on his face. You see Stefan Diggs after they lost the AFC championship, just again, playoff game. I know different circumstance, but stand out there as he watches the Chiefs celebrate and McDermott, give him a hug. And it just seems like the emotions are always, always through the roof. And yeah, I think it would affect the, the bills. And it seems like it does. Even the coaches, there's always, always the talk about, 
McDermott coming from the Andy Reid coaching tree and Andy Reid having his number and all this stuff with the coaches even. So ton of emotional investment when these teams play for the players. So I, I, I love that point. I, I think this will be a true testament to see how much this team has matured, how much these players have matured to see if they don't play with emotion or when the game does get emotional, maybe they go behind by a little bit or maybe they're ahead by a little bit to not let that emotion affect how they play the game and how the game is dictated. So that I, I love that point. I think it's going to be huge. The Bills can win this. It's going to be a, it's going to be a battle though. For, for sure. And if we don't, I mean, when, when the schedule came out, man, what did everyone say? Everyone had the same assessment of the schedule. Well, the beginning we is tough the before the bye, and then it's and then after Green Bay, it's an absolute breeze. Right. Uh, so I mean, I was like, "Ooh, that beginning, this era that we're in, the pre-bye week." Everyone's saying is like, "You know, if we can just be three and three during that, we'll be fine." Well, we're going to be minimum four and two, so we're ahead of the game. Yes, absolutely. So let's don't just blow it all on on this Kansas City game just because. We want some. We have some emotional revenge from right. the past couple of seasons. But if it doesn't go our way, we're fine. I predict. I projected. Right. Or I predicted three and three in the first six because the schedule was difficult. The teams were difficult, and so right. the fact that we're at worst four and two is is way ahead, like you mentioned. So we'll be fine. Win or lose, we'll be fine. Wins obviously much better. Uh, Tony, last week I did my first month awards, so I'm gonna pose the award to you. And I want you to rattle off who you give your first month and plus a week now award to. Are you ready? Who'd you give yours to? Well, I'll let you. I'll let you know. <laughs> Rapid fire. No. Uh, yeah. Okay. I'm ready. I'm ready. All right. Our first award is the Fillion, and that means the best rookie on the team. Who are you giving the best rookie award to? Oh, it's like this. Oh, it's like this. I'm gonna say Christian Benford. Oh, nice. I gave it to Kyrie Elam. Yeah. It was it was between those two for me. Um, I just feel like Benford, you know, and what we saw in the small sample uh, size uh, had uh, just the slightest, yeah, uh, uh, had the slightest bit of the edge. So the yeah, Benford sixty one hundred gets that award for me. Gets the fill in for me. More power, yeah. Benford's been really good too. I just think Elam for where he started, you know, a lot of a lot of doubt, you know, slow start, adjusting to zone coverage from a man scheme in Florida. I think he's come a long way in the first month and. He's just come a long way quickly. So he get, he gets my nod. It's tough to tell now because with Benford out, but when Benford comes back, I think we'll be saying that Elam has developed to be better. But Benford, yeah. maybe at that time when they were both there, had the edge. But I'm sure that edge is gone by now. I think that's that's a very fair statement. Tony, next award, the Stevie Award for the biggest surprise. Because, of course, Stevie Johnson, seventh-round rookie out of Kentucky, Huge surprise for me. What player has been your biggest surprise? It's tough for me to gauge this because I'm trying to think biggest surprise based on from when, like pre-training camp, or am I surprised after having seen them on a daily basis in training camp? Yeah. So if it's pre-training camp, then I would have to give it to Quentin Morris. Quentin Morris is good. And he has shown up and he showed up in training camp and he shows up now and he looks like he belongs and he's a good asset. But I kind of knew that because he was showing up all the time in training camp. So actually, yeah, I'll, get, I'll right. give it to Quentin Morris. Quentin Morris is a good one. DeMar Hamlin could be another good candidate for this. He's been, I think, very good in spot duty, filling in for Poyer and Hyde this season. Next up, Tony, the Whaley Award. 
This one, of course, goes to the player. We aren't privy to how disappointed we are because Doug Whaley is never privy to anything going on. What player are you most disappointed in? James Cook. That TBH. was my pick as well. Oh, interesting. To be determined. Yeah, TBD and TBH. Uh, <laughs> yes, but so far, Cook has been uh, a little bit of a disappointment, I'd say. Yeah, he's not really getting a lot of chances, but I also think that that assessment is probably right by McDermott that he hasn't earned those chances. I hope he does. Could be exciting, but our second round pick is like in the bottom of the team, you know, like like he's like bottom five in terms of important players. Right. Kind of sucks. Right. Kind of sucks. Next award, the, the co course name for Co Simpson. He's worth, he's worth a million. So who is earning their paycheck so far this year? To say I'm going to have to give it to the biggest paycheck of them all. Josh Allen is earning every penny. Yes, absolutely. Every That's why win I get to as be- well. Every win is because of him. Yeah. He is truly every special. Win is because of him. Every touchdown except for one is because of him. It's Josh. Yes. Absolutely. Really, every touchdown is because of him. The only person that can win this award because he's the only person that really matches the level of Co Simpson, right? Well. I don't know if anybody matches the level of Coach Simpson. <laughs> fair point. Fair point. Uh, Tony, the final award, the witty not award for the funniest moment of the year. Mm, I suppose I'm tempted. To... One choice here. Oh, I, I think I think my choice is not going to be that choice. It's not Ken Dorsey um, I would... throwing a tantrum. <laughs> no, that would be that would not even be in my top two or maybe wow. even top three. I was going to give it to. This past week, when there was another reenactment, really there was a reenactment on the sidelines of a TikTok posted of the face of the franchise and the snowman doing Backstreet Boys. They did it on TikTok. Like, that's one thing. Okay, you did it on TikTok. Doing it on the sidelines really took it to the next level for me of of witty and funny. Yes, I love how Isaiah McKenzie uh, really taking his talents from the America's Got Talent stage to the Bills locker room, continuing with his singing. Is it getting a little cheesy to the end, Dawkins, Isaiah McKenzie? You know, they're just having a good time. Duo. Let them have their good time. I feel like the dancing has gotten better this year. And I know you're mm. the expert on dancing, so I wanted to get your thoughts. The singing <laughs> definitely improved, but what are your thoughts about the dancing? Yeah, it's good. I would say it's improved. Yeah, there's a peak dance year, even without Daryl Johnson. And there's I think a lot, lot of, has to do with Von hip Miller. thrusting. Von Miller's, yeah. Von Miller's really brought a culture of dancing in, I think. He's really yeah. revived the dancing culture. So what was your honorable mention then, Tony? Oh, my honorable mention was the revelation of the ping pong power ranking. Oh, yes. Good call. Yeah, that was a witty and a funny moment, I think. In a, revelation, a, a revelation for our friends group chat as well. Yes, it was. It, it did recently come up. Maybe that's why I thought of it. I don't know. That picture was like out. What? That was a training camp photo, right? Well, yeah, it was at One Bill's Drive, so it wouldn't have been. Might have been like an OTAs. Be yeah, 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 yeah. Post Fisher, yeah. Oh, big no, league for ping pong tables. Oh, see, I thought it was Post Fisher. I could be wrong though. I don't know. I could be wrong. Big week for ping pong tables, by the way. The Bills ping pong table power rankings. Right. Miami Dolphins. The Mo- Dolphins controversy. Head coach. Mike McDaniel has no idea what's going on in his own team. He says they got rid of the <laughs> ping pong table as as a means of uh, eliminating distractions when Tyreek Hill says, yeah, it was bent and we're just getting a new custom one. <laughs> so Dolphins He's just like trying to watch me and I'm all for it. Yeah. 
that's what happens. That's what I'm looking forward to it. Tony, let's uh, wrap up this segment. When we get back, listeners, we will have Brennan from Straight Up Sabres podcast on to talk a little puck with us. But first, let's get a word from our sponsor. We'll be back after the break. That sound you hear? That's the sound of opening up a refreshing cold one on a hot summer day. And you know what's keeping my drink cold, listeners? A quality koozie from Traveling Growler. Follow them on Instagram and check out www.travelinggrowler.com for all their cool designs. Keep the chill in your fill and travel in style with Traveling Growler. Now back to the show. And we are back. Listeners, we have been teasing it for the past few weeks now, but now that the season is here, I feel like we have to talk about Buffalo's other sports team, and that's the Buffalo Sabres. And to help us do that, we welcome our special guest, Brendan of the Straight Up Sabres podcast. Brent, how are you doing tonight? Doing well. Thanks. Thanks for having me on, Matt. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for joining the show, man. Thanks for joining the show. Really happy to have you on. Really happy to talk some Sabres because as the season kicks off this week, and just like they say in that Frozen movie my kids watch, quote, for the first time in forever, or what seems like the first time in forever, I'm actually (laughs) excited about this season and about this team. So let's start off with how we got from a team that in the last 10 years has had zero playoff appearances, has had a 36% win percentage during those 10 years to now a team that has seemed to rejuvenate me, rejuvenate a fan base. And I think that starts at the top with head coach Don Granado and general manager Kevin with a Y Adams. What is the biggest yes. impact that these two have made in their short tenure to change the culture and, and the vibes around this organization to you? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's twofold there. And for one, I will just say uh, we are now sadly at 11 years of a playoff drought. So <laughs> right. not, a, not, a, not a clarification that brings me much joy to, to make there. But no, I, I think that they both done it in their own way. And, and I think it's interesting because when you look back at the time that Adams was hired, you know, things were an absolute mess. You had disgruntled Eichel. They try to make the move for Hall and they end up bringing him in and it just does not work out. And what we heard back then constantly was, oh, we want guys who want to be here, who want to be a part of this organization. And to be honest, like uh, what makes people and, and, and players and athletes want to be a part of any organization across any sport is winning. And so it was really frustrating early on because, you know, you hire this guy, Kevin Adams, who has absolutely zero front office experience. He had some experience as an assistant coach. He's working in business operations at Harbor Center, never even so much as a, a, an assistant GM or anything even closely resembling a title like that in a front office capacity. And so you have this guy come in who then just starts spewing this stuff about how, oh, we're so proud of the to, to you know, be employed by the Pagulas. And we want people who want to put on that Buffalo Sabres sweater and be proud of it. And it's like, well, what are what is there to be proud of? You haven't made the playoffs in a decade since the Obama administration. And, and we're talking about being proud for being a Sabre. Like, c- come on, you, you finished at the bottom of the barrel year after year with this team. You know, there was you have multiple top two picks in the mix as well with with Reinhardt, Eichel, Darlene. Um, of course, then eventually we get power as well. And so there wasn't a lot of hope there, to be completely honest. And I think I speak for just about every single Sabres fan, aside from maybe some of the people who were like, oh, well, Kevin Adams is a good guy. He seems smart. Maybe he'll be OK at this. But nobody was really going into that hire necessarily feeling optimistic. And so what really changed, though, is just Adams forward thinking approach that he's taken. And I think it extends beyond hockey. I think that if you look at some of the moves that he's made, it has translated, it it 
translates into success across all sports in the way that general managers, whether it's in the NFL, whether it's the MLB, the NBA, for eventually achieving long-term success when you're you're in the bottom there. And so, like I said before, they make the move for Hall. Terry Pagula in that infamous video then behind the scenes from the offseason says, oh, this makes us a cup contender. It was blatantly obvious that they they weren't. You know, they were maybe after getting Taylor Hall had a chance of sneaking in the playoffs if everything went perfectly according to plan, but the roster still was not where it was. And so they had the moment where they were able to look and said, you know what, we just need to break this down and we need to rebuild. We need to fully commit to one. We don't need to do this Band-Aid approach. And I think really what the key thing was for Adams is he has surrounded himself with smart people. And I think there's two key parts of that. One is the fact that it's helping him make informed decisions in that he has been able to really fill out the analytics department and really fill out the scouting department to the point where, like I said, it was a bare cover before. Like they they did not have anybody who was right. an analytics for the team their scouting staff was very bare with the pandemic they had just they were you know were i think like single digits in terms of like scouts that they had and you know they weren't really covering a lot of the world too and so it's things seem really bleak and then he hires guys like sam ventura is a perfect example who comes over from pittsburgh was one of the lead guys there when it came to some of their main contract negotiations and really helped them find success and i mean look at them they're a multi-cup winning team over the past 15 years and so again it's helping him make informed decisions on top of that then the other side of that too is that in my opinion i think it's the sign of a, of a very smart and competent leader when you know that the way to succeed is that you're surrounding yourself with those smart people in the room and you're not only just surrounding yourself with them but you're also taking what they say to heart and and using that in your approach and he's really been able to do that and so when i'm saying some of these forward thinking moves like for example like a lot of people you know balked a little bit not a lot but there were people who were a little bit surprised that they gave tage thompson that seven-year deal you know, almost $50 million. But when you look across sports and, and it was even happening in this off season. Yeah. Tage had one season where he was very dominant, but you're banking on guys to play into the contracts because at the end of the day, say you waited until after the season to give Tage a deal. Then you're looking at maybe almost creeping up above 8 million and maybe even close to 9 million. Because again, guys who can be, you know, 35 plus goal scoring top two centers for a team, that's not a, a very easy thing to come by. Tage, by no means, I don't think, I think on a, a, you know, like a good contending team, Tage is a really solid number two. But again, you're making that investment in your guys. Like they just gave Matias Samuelson today a, a big contract, seven year deal, 4.29 million average. And again, Samuelson's a guy that he is only, I believe he has less than 60 NA. NHL games under his belt but when you look at how he performed last year in terms of the quality of competition that he was going against what he enables Rasmus Dahlin who is maybe the most important piece of the puzzle what he enables him to do being his defensive partner again like that's a gamble that you take and if you look across sports whether it's baseball whether it's football whether it's basketball you got to invest in your young talent and the earlier you do that the more money that you save down the road especially when you consider that we're two years away from both Dahlin and power needing to get contract extensions and so again when it comes to Adams, the the long, I know that was a long-winded answer there, but again, I think it's surrounding yourself with the right people, building out that analytics department and being able to follow the trends of the game. And I think that directly ties into the Granado hire because the Sabres very easily after things went south with, went south with uh, Ralph Kruger could have said, we need to hire a guy who is an experienced veteran who's going to make these guys play a hard-nosed style and physicality and blah, blah, blah. 
But what they ended up doing was going after, uh, was bringing Granado on board, uh, promoting him from Kruger's assistant coach, looking at his background and saying, okay, this is a guy who has a demonstrated history of success in developing young players from, especially from his time in the U S national development program. And this is a really young team and we need somebody who's going to be able to cultivate this talent and get it to a point where these guys are going to be able to really maximize their full potential. And so on top of that, Granado from the get-go was the antithesis of Ralph Kruger, where Ralph Kruger is so system-based and is rather than trying to, you know, fit his schemes to the to the roster that he has and playing to his players' strength is trying to make guys play roles that they're just not suited for. And I think a perfect example of that is Rasmus Stalin with under Kruger. Everybody's like, oh my God, do we maybe have to get like trade this guy and try and get out ahead of this? If he's just like lost out there, or if he's broken, then right. Granado comes on board through the rest of the season. After Kruger gets fired, you start to see the light go on a little bit with Darlene. Then last year, he has a little bit of a slow start, and you see him really trying to unlearn a lot of the, the, the philosophies and principles that Kruger was trying to instill in him. And then once it got to a point that he got some of his confidence back and Granado was just allowing him to just, you know, he, Granado was taking the reins off and was like, go be the offensive dynamo that you are. Play to your strengths. Stick handle the puck. Like, don't be afraid to make mistakes. You know, that's it's no coincidence then that Darlene ends up completely completely turning his career around and is back to seemingly looking like a, a true number one defenseman here. And so, and it extends further to that too. I mean, you have to give him credit for Tage Thompson for moving him to center and the way that that's opened up his game. Jeff Skinner is another perfect example where Kruger has him in his doghouse playing on the fourth line, giving him garbage minutes, horrible matchups. Granado gets on board, looks at him and says, listen, you have been for the past 10 years, one of the best five on five goal scorers that this league has seen, like within the top 10 year after year after year. So let's play to your strengths. Let's get you in around talented players. Let's get you in positions to succeed. And Skinner comes back and has a 30 plus goal year last year. And now it seems as though he's, he's fully back. And especially it's important with him because now Skinner's 29 and thankfully for us, at least his style of play is very conducive to still having success in, into his thirties as compared to guys who are more of like bruisers or grinders. If you look across the league, you know, like a guy like Jamie Ben, for example, who had won the art Ross back. in I think it was like 2015 or 16 around there led the league in mm -hmm. points and he's captain of Dallas. And now it's like, he, he still contributes a bit there, but because of the, like the, the physical hard no style that he plays, he is not the same player that he was, you know, now that he's in his right. mid thirties. Whereas with Skinner, there's a, there's a realistic chance that we could see this guy scoring 25 plus goals through his mid thirties potentially as, as he continues to get these good matchups. And so it, it's really just, you know, embracing a forward thinking approach, embracing where the game is going as compared to trying to model it after where the game has been. And I think that that ultimately, Lee, to, to finally close on the point, that is really what has allowed the Sabres get to this point of having the fans just feel genuine optimism for the team again. Yeah, that's a great recap of how Adams and Granado have turned this thing around in, in such a pretty short tenure. I, can, I have to imagine Granado was just banging his head against the wall, standing behind Kruger every night, watching uh, him run practices and his style of oh, play, God, like you I mentioned, square peg, even round imagine hole. What that <laughs> it just yeah, seems like right, a team right. now who uh, on the ice who is not going to struggle to score goals nightly like they have in the past are going to play an entertaining style of hockey and then a team off the ice that knows how to use a fax machine correctly or can get the names of the legends <laughs> right. and their players spelled correctly on the back of jerseys so uh right. complete 180 for this organization but you talked about kind of the the roster changeover embracing young developmental players making trades for guys like alex tuck and peyton krebs mm -hmm. as a core youth um so 
talking about that turnover in the roster, who's uh, the one player you would say you're most excited to see this season on this roster? Oh, man, that is a heck of a question. Yeah, I mean, you bring up a great point. That, that was something, too, that I missed with, uh, you know, for Adam's success is that he came into a situation where he had three key pieces in uh, mainly Eichel and Reinhardt, but also we'll tag Ristolainen on there because of the return right. that he was able to get. He fully maximized those situations. I still... Any return for Risto would have been great. <laughs> I mean, gee, anything would have been great. I was not expecting them to get... Uh, 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 a roster player and then a first and a third. Um, right. You could not have asked Nobody for a better was. trade than for Ristolainen. <laughs> um, but no. So and, and then again, like he hit it out of the park with the with the Eichel trade, the Reinhardt trade. At first, I admittedly was not completely a fan on because I really wish they would have kept him around to try to like make it work. But then you end up getting you know the first air, which we knew was going to be a late one. But more importantly, Devin Levi out of it, which seems like our goalie of the future. So that's really exciting. Right. Um, but yeah, oh man, what a question. I mean, there, there's a, there's a handful of them, you know, and I th think that that's kind of, you know, really exciting. Like, I don't think that there is a guy in the top nine forward group who I'm not really intrigued to see how they're going to be this year. You know, you look at all of those young forwards there, um, obviously Skinner being the elder statesman with him being 29, but there's a lot of excitement there. You look at like Jack Quinn, for example, who had one of the best rookie seasons in the AHL last year 61 and points in 45 the, games ex exactly Incredible season I mean, and and if you look at you know with him I mean that's another example too where they have just been able to mold him and, and really help his development process along because at the time that was not a sexy pick like Taylor and myself no. both wanted them to take either Marco Rossi or Cole Perfetti and I think that Rossi and Perfetti are still going to end up being great players but man Quinn mm. now looks like at, at his peak, if he can maximize his potential, that's a 40-goal guy potentially right there. Just given right. his his shooting ability for one, his just offensive creativity, his prowess around the net, you know, and I would say, like, it may be a hot take. A lot of people are saying Owen Power is the front runner for um, for rookie of the year for winning the caller this year. But I think Quinn has just as much of a shot, given the fact that he's a forward and he's going to be getting really quality opportunities as the year goes along, especially if we end up seeing a trade at some point, then he's going to be able to move up the lineup even more. So Jack Quinn is definitely a guy who I'm really, really excited about to see how he's going to, how his NHL game is going to translate, you know, following like the trend of his career. It's really been like, he takes a year to kind of get adjusted or, you know, almost a year we could say to get adjusted to the level that he's playing at. And then once he gets an understanding of the competition and gets up to speed with the quality of the competition he's playing against, it's just like the light goes on for him. It was, that was the case in Ottawa right. and junior case in Rochester. And, you know, he had, a, he did not get as much time last year, obviously because of just due to injuries and then wanting to, him to be down for the playoff run there. But we're going to see really what he has this year. And even in the short sample size in the preseason, I mean, he looked great. And his his offensive creativity was really on display there. Um, Owen Power is another one that is just an obvious choice. As I had mentioned before, he's one of, if not the Calder frontrunner this year. He had a short stint with the Sabres after he finished his season at the University of Michigan last year. And for a 19-year-old defenseman, he looked like he was, he's been in the league for five to seven years when he came up last year. Granado, it's been the case with all of the young guys that he's not afraid to put them in tough matchups and, you know, put them up against like the, the premier players in the league and look no further than in Power's first game against Toronto. He's going up against the Matthews line and Austin Matthews, of course. I mean, he was right. the MVP last year, like the Rocket Richard. Um, and Power looked great. 
You know, he just, he carries himself on the ice with a, with a calmness and a smoothness with the puck on his stick. And he really doesn't look very erratic out there, which is what you see in a lot of young defensemen. Now, do I think that this year power is going to, you know, be a 50 point guy? No, because just the way that development trends are in hockey, defensemen take a little bit longer before they're really able to hit their ceiling. But given how good he looked last year and that short sample size, being as young as he is, if that carries over into this season and then we just get to see him grow more and more as the year goes on man that it, once they find him an appropriate partner once Yoki Haru is gone man that's the top four of the Sabres D is is going to be really 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 something for other teams across the league to, to watch out for like having two pieces like that two first overall picks and, and Darlene and power and being able to spread them out across your top two pairs I mean that's going to be a matchup nightmare both of those guys we'll probably even see it at some point this year, like later in the year as the year goes on, but like next year, we'll say confidently, those guys are both going to be eating. Like, you know, Darlene will be up at like 25 plus minutes a night. Power will be like 23 plus minutes a night. And they're both going to be contributing, you know, like for power's case. I mean, he could easily be like a 40 plus point guy. And for Darlene, it's like the sky's the limit at this point. If he's able to continue building off the confidence that he showed at the second half of last year, you know, he's another guy to be excited about because that could be a 60, 70 point defenseman, number one defenseman for you there. Um, yeah, they were talking about 80 points for Darlene on GR this morning. Or, yeah, or I mean, this hey, I was like, like that seems extremely high, but it, it is. If it anyone's going to get it, it's him. Well, right. It is. And he has the talent to do it, you know, I mean, and just look at how scoring has been going up over these past few years. You know, like I said, I mentioned Jamie Ben before, I think he won the the Art Ross with like 87 points or something like that. Yeah. And then you have Roman Yossi last year for the Predators, their number one defenseman put up 96 points. Cal McCarr this year, I fully believe Cal McCarr this year is going to put up 100 points. Like, I I think that Cal McCarr is going to end up being the MVP this year. And I think that he's going to have more responsibility on him for Colorado. But just with the talent level across the league of these young defensemen, Quinn Hughes is another one, for example, too, who these guys on the back end who just are just dynamite with the puck on their stick and so exciting out there. Um, so yeah, I, I think the sky's the limit for Darlene. Um, other guys quickly that I, I'm really looking forward to seeing this year. A couple of guys who I think have a lot to prove this year, young guys in Peyton Krebs and JJ Paterka. Paterka also had a phenomenal rookie year last year, made the all rookie team in the AHL, was an all-star for Rochester last year. And he made the team out of camp this year and well-deserved because there was people last year who thought he could have made the team as well. So really excited to see how his game is going to translate. And up, I'm one of them. <laughs> Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, you know, and he's the kind of guy that his game is like, you know, for like the skills that he provides and what his ceiling potentially is that that is a key cog in your middle six wingers right there. And then Peyton Krebs Uh, too. And that's why. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were. No, no, no. And I was just going to say for for, for Krebs too. I, I, the last thing I'll say about him is that he gives you a lot of flexibility there because it's like, okay, do we have a center here or do we have a winger? Because he could excel at both. And Peyton Krebs is somebody that if people are just getting back into the Sabres like this year and haven't been really paying attention, my God, watch this guy skate. Like he is so fast and he just like zips through the neutral zone. And with the puck on a stick, I mean, it's, it's, he's a better skater than Sam Reinhardt is, but is he's not quite like at the level of like Reinhardt's right. vision, which compensated for his skating, but you could see flashes of it. Like when I watch Krebs closely and like ISO on him, you see a lot of Sam Reinhardt's playmaking ability in his game. And so, I mean, look at Reinhardt last year, you know, Reinhardt just was continuously getting better and better with the Sabres, but he blossomed into a point per game player last year on a Florida team where he wasn't even getting top line minutes for them. Right. And he was, 
you know, maybe their third most impactful forward behind Barkov and Huberdeau, who are both 100-point guys easily. So uh, Krebs is somebody also who I'm, I'm really excited to see. You know, I think that there's a lot of established guys on this team. Like, we know Tage is going to be solid. We know what Skinner is. We know what Tuck is. But it's these guys who have the ability to, you know, really step into a role and really step up and make a name for themselves. Because what it comes down to is, while there's a lot of young talent right now, this team is not where it is, needs to be to be a true playoff contender and to really compete for a cup. And the missing piece is going to be that key number one piece in your top six forward group. And so right now there's nine guys in that top nine who any one of them like, you know, could be in the top nine somewhere, but there's a decent chance also though, that one of the, like that maybe one or two of those guys could end up getting dealt if the Sabres want to take a big swing next off season. And so this year is really going to be about which of these guys is going to be able to establish themselves as a key piece to the future and a piece that Kevin Adams and Don Granado are going to look at and say, this is a guy who we want on our team when we're making a playoff run, you know, hopefully next, hopefully this year. <laughs> I mean, I, I love these young guys too. I mean, they're, they're, we've, we've come a long way from being like excited about a, a Grigorenko through the legs, oh, no God. look behind the back <laughs> pass during training camp for it to fizzle out into nothing in the regular season. I think these guys are legit players. I think these guys are a great young core to build around. Owen Power, as you mentioned, reminds me a lot of just like a Shea Weber, Brett Burns, even going back like Chris Pronger, just a guy who every time he steps on the ice, no matter what situation, you can play him in penalty kill, you can play him in the power play. Like he's going to be a game changer for you with his high, high, high hockey IQ and, you know, just good stick handling, patience with the puck. He doesn't get frazzled out there as a young kid. Uh, so, and, and plus, I mean, I know Kevin Adams and Don Grant are making up for uh, the lack of their own hair on top of their head, but he has a great flow, does Owen Power. And I think that's saying sure something. Does. Is it called lettuce? I want to start using hockey slang terms like oh, I'm cool. God. Is it called, the, is it called lettuce? Do it Don't do it to yourself. <laughs> All right, all right. I will. Flow, I will. flow over lettuce. People, people who really try to lean into the hockey bro lingo thing will call it lettuce. But uh, or people who like, uh, what's that show called? Shorzy. Uh, that's the spinoff of. Um, oh yeah, oh, I'm totally blanking on it. The one. It's a Netflix show. Uh, Letter, Letter Kenny, right? Letter yeah. Kenny. Letter Kenny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, no, 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 no. He does. The, the guy's got a great head of hair. We got a lot of good. Yeah, absolutely. Good, good, solid good heads hair. Of good hair team this year. Oh, you, need that. you look good. You look uh, good. Yeah, absolutely. Look good, play good. I think Mark Wahlberg said that in one of his movies. Um, but you also mentioned J.J. Paterka, and he's the one I'm probably most excited for because I see um, in him a guy who has a ton of one-on-one -on -one ability. And as listeners know of this show, I play soccer uh, my whole life, and I'm a fan of the U.S. national team, and we never really have a guy who has one-on-one -on -one ability. So when a guy comes along that has one-on-one -on -one ability, that can take the puck up and down the ice, he's not Connor McDavid by any means, but he can take defenders one-on-one. -on -one. Um, I get excited for that, just like I do with any soccer player. That seems like J.J. Paterka to me, just incredible uh, ability with the puck at his stick. So, um, yeah, those young guns are super excited. And I got him put in that group, Tage Thompson, who yeah. had an incredible uh, season. You mentioned not – you know, not having that true number one guy that, you know, number, I, I think Tage Thompson could be that guy and they're paying him like he can be that guy. He had 68 points in 78 games last year, established himself as a number one center, usually alongside Skinner and Tuck. Um, but can Tage Thompson be that guy to be that number one center, that uh, consistent goal scorer, or do we see him hit his ceiling last season? What do you think real quick? 
it's so tough to say. I feel like with Tage, what I think is more likely is that he settles into being like a 35, 35, 70 kind of guy where he's going to score goals for you. He, I think that again, like the move to center has just really revitalized his career. Like unlike oh, yeah. any other scenario Saved that I've career. ever seen before. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, Taylor prior to last season, and a lot of people are saying this, but Taylor would always like 20% jokingly, 80% serious, be like, I don't even know if Tage Thompson is an NHL player. Like this guy probably belongs in the AHL with how he was looking. He just looked lost out mm-hmm. there. Um, but you know, when you look at like what you need for that, like true number one center, I think like the, the baseline is you want a guy that's going to be a point per game player. Um, I don't know if Tage necessarily has that. I think that Tage has otherworldly shooting talent though, and that he's learned how to trust his shot a little bit more and his shot has gotten a lot more accurate. Um, I think that He's gotten much better with driving the puck to the net as compared to trying to just like, he's got great hands. Don't get me wrong. But the thing that separates guys who have great hands from, you know, and are able to use them properly from guys who just like try to be flashy is the fact that like you use it when you need to. Whereas with Tage, it was like, anytime he had the puck in the neutral zone, he was trying to toe drag somebody as compared to now. It's like, (laughs) dude, you're like six foot eight on skates. Like go skate around somebody. Like you are bigger than these like five ten defensemen out there. Like, He's a, he's a pretty all right skater too for his size. And so it's like, he's just learned to use his body a lot more. Um, So I, for me, like I, yeah, like I think Tage is a, a 30 plus goal guy, probably 30 assists too. He's going to keep playing in the top six. He's going to keep getting good power play minutes too, which is going to be really key to his success on top of that. Um, But no, I, I don't, I, I like, I love Tage and I, I love his development and I don't think that he's going to fall off. Like a lot of people pointed to a shooting percentage last year, which I think was like 17% or something like that as being a huge reason why, but like, even if, you know, he scored 30, 38 goals last year, shooting 17 or 18%, even if his shooting percentage regresses a little bit down to saying like the 12 to 14 range, which is like average to slightly above average across the NHL, that's still a 30 goal guy for you. So I think that there's definitely value in that. And I think that just because he's not a number one center doesn't like on like a cup contending team doesn't mean that he's not an extremely, extremely valuable piece. It's just that I don't think that he is that guy to be completely honest, but I think that he's going to be like, I said, very valuable down the stretch. Like that's a, that a number two center like that, who has that level of size skating and shooting ability, you know, those don't grow on trees either, you know, as hard as it is to find a number one, which is probably the hardest thing to find in the game, you know, finding a really competent quality number two center that you can rely upon that can step into that. If you need them to at points, that's huge. Yeah, absolutely. Um, This week they announced captains and assistant captains, captain bean, Kyle Ocposo, the team's 20th captain in its history, I believe. I think mm-hmm. that's correct. And their assistant captains, Zemgis Gurgensons and Rasp Stalin. How did you feel about the decision? You think it's the right decision? Would you have liked to see someone else uh, receive the letters on their jerseys? No, I think it was I think it was a great choice all around. I mean, it makes <clears throat> a ton of sense with Opozo because there's so much youth on this team. And there's also a lot of young guys, too, who have shown that they have the ability to potentially step into leadership roles. I mean, obviously Darlene, but also Dylan Cousins. Granado raves about his leadership ability. He was here over the summer for the prospects um, uh, training camp. And so, like, again, like being there for, like, the young guys to lean on, like, that's huge. Um, you know, you look at a guy like Tage, just got handed this big contract. That comes with a lot of responsibility, too. So he's going to be asked to step into more of, like, a leader, more prominent leadership role. Even some of the younger guys who have shown that they have that ability, like Peyton Krebs was a captain in juniors and has shown that he is not afraid to speak up. Um, 
And so for me, I think Opozo was absolutely the right move because all of the guys look to him anyways. He's like the dad of the team pretty much. And so rather <laughs> than have giving it to like Darlene right now and having Opozo be the alternate captain, I think it makes more sense to just let Opozo be the guy he be the one that has all the pressure on him for being the captain and then let all these other guys develop their leadership traits through this year. And then maybe next year too, because assuming that, you know, this is the last year of Opozo's deal and they'll bring him back on a cheaper contract, uh, you know, maybe a one or two year deal after this, you know, let him be the guy and let these other guys really cultivate their leadership qualities and see who's going to be the one to step up because, I have a hard time believing Gergensen's is going to be here after this year. Um, his contract's right. up at the end of the year, but I, it, it makes sense to give him an A as well. He, him and Opozo were co-alternate captains last year. And so just keeping that intact, I mean, he's going into, I think, his ninth or tenth season now with the Sabres, which is like or ninth season, which is insane to think about. Um, so, you know, you have a, a couple of proven veterans there. And then Darlene, obviously, I mean, really last year, he showed more and more as the year went on. And I feel like especially after the All-Star game, going to his first All-Star game, you know, like his confidence just went through the roof. And then I think in turn, that also helped with his leadership ability a lot too. And so allowing these young guys to just kind of learn the ropes under a pozo and just follow his lead and take after him, a guy who is just like a consummate professional who people across the league have just the most wonderful things to say about, I think was absolutely the right move. And and I didn't even mention also Alex Tuck too. There's another guy who we could potentially end up seeing having an A, you know, I think, yeah. At the time, when the time comes that Opozo eventually moves on, maybe you're looking at a scenario where it's like Darlene is the captain and then you have Tuck and Dylan Cousins as being your alternate captains or Owen Power too, another first that, round yeah. pick. I mean, that comes with a lot of responsibility also. So yeah, I was very happy with the move. No no uh, issues from me about it. The only thing, obviously, it's, you know, I, I, it would have been nice to see another young guy get an A instead of Gergensen's. But again, it makes sense because he's he's been around. He's been in the organization. He's been here for the lowest of the lows. And, you know, you want to help have a guy like that there leading the way to help those guys get through that. Yeah, absolutely. And what a turnaround for Akposo for, you know, just a short while ago, fans were clamoring to, you know, bench him and trade him and do whatever you can to keep him off the team or off the ice uh, to now receive the C. Uh, Brendan, a little fun fact for you and the listeners. Uh, I am going to go on this podcast and take credit for Kyle Ogposo's turnaround to his career as a saber because uh, just last summer, his daughter and my daughter played softball against each other. So he, I think it reinvigorated his fire, his passion for sports. So That's I'm going to take all the credits you right now. Think, Man, <laughs> thank you so much. God, we, we have I'm going to take all the credit. You're welcome. You. You're welcome. We are, the Sabres fans we are in are your welcome. debt. <laughs> yes. No, we're in your debt after uh, that one. No, I, I I agree with the choices as well. And like those young guys, I think are the next cycle. You mentioned Dylan Cousins. I think a guy who has definite captain potential down the future. Um, Brendan, real quick, uh, as we wrap up here, uh, predictions for this team. Uh, what do you think playoff bound, uh, scratching at the surface, uh, maybe another disappointing year? What, what do you think? What is your prediction for this season as we get started here uh, tomorrow night? Puck drop. So I don't think we are at the point yet where we can say playoffs. I just think that there's too many question marks in goal right now. We got to see, again, who among the forward group is going to be able to establish themselves as an every night contributor in the NHL because there's just so much youth. Like the Sabres literally have the youngest team in the league right now. Um, right. And again, back to goaltending. I mean, you have Eric Comrie there who had great numbers for – Winnipeg last year, but in a very small sample, that was his first 
chance at really being a consistent backup goalie. And he put up great numbers, but he's going to be looked at this year to maybe play like 45 or so games. And we don't know how he's going to hold up. Um, So for me, I do think that they take a step this year. I think what would qualify as a, a successful season is if they are playing meaningful games in March and April, like, I think a pie in the like the the best case scenario for them and my best realistic scenario for them, if they hit 40 wins this year, that is like if they're like like straight up above 500, that is a massive, massive step forward, massive like sign of success with this team growing. And I think it also sends a message too across the league. Um, with that being said, I also think, and maybe on like the lesser side of things, there's a very possible and real chance that this team can finish second last in the division because of how good the division is and still again show those signs of growth so i say that too with the the caveat of you know with ottawa and detroit they both have some good young players on their team but they both pretty much made some interesting moves this year to try and you know speed things up a little bit i guess in their process um, Ottawa with bringing in a guy like Giroux. I mean, the Debrincat trade was great, but they also have a lot of question marks in goal too, with Cam Talbot being their starting goalie. And he's out for the first part of the year, Detroit, Maurice Sider just won the Calder. He's great. Lucas Raymond, like they have some really good young guys there, but then they also go out and get David Perron, who's 34 years old and has been on a, you know, consistently winning teams between St. Louis the past couple of years. And then, um, you know, Vegas before that. So, and then they have question marks in gold too, as well. I mean, they just made a move for Billy Huso from St. Louis um, and brought him in. And again, we don't know how he's going to be able to hold up. Like, is he going to be an every night starter was last year more of just like a fluke. So I think that those two teams specifically Ottawa and Detroit are set up to be better this year, but for the 2023, 2024 season, the Sabres, I think are going to be comfortably better than both of those teams. I just think that they made, you know, like I had mentioned before, like those Band-Aid kind of moves where it's like, okay, we're going to do something to show the fans like we're committed to winning and we want to win. But what the Sabres are doing with the slow burn and the slow rebuild approach, I think, is really what's going to be conducive for long-term success. So just because maybe this year they finished second last in a division, I think like if they take a step this year and like let's say they win 40 games or like they just are like above 500 – I think that that is a sign to the front office and this organization that it's like, all right, you know what? Like we're right on the cusp of this. Let's go take a big swing. You know, we've had 11 draft picks in the last, in each of the last two drafts, 22 overall of the last two drafts. We have four picks in the four in the first two rounds of next of this coming draft this year. There's a lot of young talent in this organization and not everybody is going to be a part of the puzzle. So you conceivably can pack, make a package and make a deal for a really promising, good young player that may be that number one piece that we're talking about and not make too much of a significant dent in the, in the young core here. So I think this year, let's, you know, just keep working on the guys growing temper expectations a little bit. I don't think that they're going to be quite ready for the playoffs quite yet, but I think next year, 2023, 2024, game on like I'm ready for them to make a run in the play like to try and be a legitimate playoff contender and get into the playoffs given where everybody's going to be at in the, in the development of their careers given that if Comrie works out great but if he doesn't work out they're going to be inclined to probably make a move in goal to give Levi maybe a, a year or two in Rochester to give him some time because he's not going to come up right away after he signs this year after his year with Northeast Northeastern um, we're gonna have a better idea of Darlene power is going to be farther along Samuelson's going to have more experience and so next year I, I know it sounds you know ridiculous to say being you know a Sabres fan like oh there's always next year but 
I've been saying for the probably the past two years, Taylor and I have both firmly believed that 2023, 2024 is the year where it's like blast off. Like, let's do this thing. So I'm going to say um, I'm going to say the Sabres will crack 80 points this year, which would be an improvement over the past couple of years. It's not really saying a whole lot. I'm going to say they'll be end up being in like maybe uh, like 84 points. I'm going to go with for them this year. I think right. that they'll end up finishing second last in the division. But the guys who we need to see take steps are all going to take steps. They're going to look good. Confidence is going to continue to grow in the organization and also just like around the league and the way that people view the Sabres. And 2023, 2024, game on. We're going to the playoffs. Nice. I like it. I like it. I actually am going to go on a, on a leap here and I'm going to say it. they do make the playoffs. I, I like All right. I, I love there's that. A, there's, a men in, there's a men in black line where Will Smith says to Tommy Lee Jones, Old and busted, new hotness. And he points to himself, of course. The Sabres are the new hotness to me. They're young, they're fast, they're they can score, they're exciting, they're entertaining. I say we need some new hotness in the NHL. They make the playoffs. Uh Brendan, as we wrap up here, as we wrap up, uh, thank you so much for joining the show. Uh, where can the listeners of our podcast find your podcast? And where can they find you on Twitter and everything uh you and Taylor are doing with the Sabres? Yeah, absolutely. So you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. On Facebook and Instagram, we're straight up Sabres. On Twitter, we're straight Sabres. That's just our handle because of character accounts and whatnot. But if you type in straight up Sabres, you can find us there. And then we are on all streaming platforms, whether you're Spotify, Apple Music, or Apple Podcasts, Google Play, uh, whatever the hell, hell else people listen to, we are on all of them. So check us out. We're putting out uh, a new episode tomorrow. Uh, well, Thursday, the, the day of the first game, we're having uh, Anthony from Expected Buffalo is going to be coming on. We're going to be doing a full season preview with him. Really, really excited for that. And then, yeah, we put out episodes every Monday and Thursday throughout the season. So you can hear us twice a week. We cover... During the seasons, we will have, uh, you know, plenty of guests on ranging from former players to uh, prominent media personalities to fellow podcasters and bloggers. So we have a good mix and, you know, we cover the day to day of the team. And then we also like to have fun with the two, um, do some quizzes, do some segments as well. And so we'd like to, you know, have a nice balance between a lot of the more like data driven, like analytical talk, like the ins and outs of the game a little bit, and then also keeping it light and having fun with it and, you know, joking around a bit too. So it's a good mix and we hope you all listen and check it out. Awesome. We're listeners ourselves. Great show. If you're a Sabres fan, if you're a hockey fan, go check out Brendan and Taylor straight up Sabres podcast. Brendan, thank you so much, my man, for joining the show, talking some hockey and Sabres with us. And uh, we always like to say go Bills at the end of the episode. So hey. for this segment, I guess we'll say go Sabres. <laughs> Hey man, the Bills may, or the Sabres may not be making the playoffs this year, but the Bills are winning that goddamn Super Bowl, baby. Go Bills. And Matt, thank you. Go, All go you said about our show, Taylor and I feel the same way about your guys's. So thank you so much. Awesome. We'll have to have you back on in the season and Taylor uh, will join us. <laughs> Please, that'd be great. Looking forward to awesome. it. Awesome. Thanks, Brendan. Have a good take night, it easy, Matt. Take care. Take care. Later. And we are back once again. Thank you to Brendan. Straight up Sabres podcast. Check it out. Awesome content. Awesome Sabres talk. If you're a hockey fan, check those guys out. Give them a follow. Tony, let's wrap it up, though. Thank you, as always, to our sponsor, Traveling Growler, www.travelinggrowler.com. Shop local, support local, buy local. Koozies starting at just $5. Awesome designs. Travelinggrowler.com. Check them out. Christmas season coming up. Holiday season coming up, Tony. Great stocking stuffer. Just, just throwing it out there. Get ahead of the game, people. Great stocking stuffer from Traveling Growler. T-shirt store, teespring.com. Search Witty Not Funny All One Word. Speaking of great gifts for the holiday season, a Witty Not Funny t-shirt would warm anyone's heart. Right, Tony? Uh, it would warm mine, that's for sure. 
support the podcast t-shirts hoodies crewnecks we got you covered cool designs be the talk of your next viewing party tailgate witty not funny all one word tespring.com where to find the podcast you can find the podcast as always on the built-in buffalo podcast network itunes spotify wherever you listen to your fine podcast for free search witty not funny all one word search built-in buffalo you'll find us dropping fridays on the built-in buffalo podcast network if you like us subscribe leave us a review show us some love we always like to say whether you give us two hours or two minutes of your time we greatly appreciate it and we truly do mean that as we hit 106 here on the road to 200 tony um listen to the podcast thank you witty nation join witty nation uh twitter handles you can find the podcast at witty sports 716 give us a follow we love connecting to the buffalo sports community out there bills mafia saber swords people hit that follow at witty sports 716 tony where can listeners find you on twitter you know it's at tony ambrose which is my name it's his name so simple give tony a follow as well and that's all I got other than the send-off. Tony, what's your send-off for the listeners? Well, I know your send-off is going to include Go Bills. I'll throw a Go oh. Sabres in there, but I'm also going to throw in, as is apropos, I'll throw in a Go Blue Devils, as uh, this weekend I will be celebrating uh, Fredonia Alumni Weekend and Homecoming. Uh, nice. So I am excited about that. I'm feeling the spirit of my alma mater. So Go Blue Devils, and shout-out to all the Blue Devils who are in our listening ship. Yes, shout out to the Fredonia Blue Devils. Um, weird, weird name. Where does the where does the Blue Devil come from, Tony? You have the history behind that. Uh, it's named after a World War II uh, Air Force regiment that was oh. caught up in the Swiss Alps, um, but survived uh, the tumultuous um, sort of conditions of him caught up in the bowels of the Swiss Alps, and there was something heroic involved in that. In this. Uh... This unit was from Fredonia? I don't believe so. I don't know. Okay. Okay. Good. <laughs> That's a good story, though. Uh, and mm-hmm. as Tony alluded to, I always say go Bills. And of course, stay witty out there, everyone. Thanks for listening. Peace. Bye. Bye. Later. Moshon is a fresher breath there. He just loved chain restaurants. Matter of fact, he ate at Applebee's 12 times during the bye week. I love each and it. Most of you guys. That really is still swollen, isn't it? It's still it, swollen. It, it kind of looks like a football, actually. It, Thank you for that. Stitching you that, guys. Thank you. Hey, D, I like donuts, baby. Let's go. Uh, stay focused. Um, work hard in school. You might not like school, but make sure you're working hard at school. It builds a bomb. It builds a bomb. It's your boy DM3, and you're listening to the Witty Not Funny Sports Podcast on the Built in Buffalo Podcast Network.